Hey, real quick, before we jump into the Word, we're going to go over to 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, on, on Friday, June 7th, it's leading into Pentecost. On that Friday, we're having our first Friday service with Paul Wilbur right over here at the arena, okay? And so that's open to everyone. It's gonna be a concert, but Pastor Stovall's gonna release the word as well. And it's just gonna be a great time leading into Pentecost weekend, the celebration. And of course, we're also telling each of you to prepare your hearts because that's our second of our three offerings for Heart for the House that is gonna happen on Pentecost Sunday. So just start seeking the Lord, praying, asking him what, what you're supposed to give, amen? You guys ready to jump into the Word, and then we'll pray for you all and see God do some amazing things. Second Kings chapter 5. We're going to talk about a man named Naaman. Most of you are familiar with this passage, and we're going to, the title of this is Sacred Space versus a Specialist, okay? We've been talking a lot about sacred space. Have you guys noticed that? There's two of you that have noticed that. This is a profound... Sacred space, and, and we talk about God as being other, and we talk about him being holy. And when you think about sacred, when you think about holy, when you use words like consecrated, what the main focus is is actually God being so distinct, so other compared to every other God. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about sacred space, what makes this space sacred is because of the presence of a king, and his name's Jesus. You, as great as you are, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you came in, you didn't make this space sacred. It was already sacred because he dwells here, amen? And so each of you are actually called sacred space because wherever the presence of God dwells, wherever he is, that place has been made distinct. Now, sometimes we may have trouble reflecting Come on now, that distinction, but it doesn't make us less distinct even though we may suffer from the problem of not being able to reflect that distinction. And so tonight we're gonna look at Naaman. He's a real prophetic picture of, of pointing ahead to the priesthood, honestly, of every believer and to the work of Jesus Christ himself. We're just gonna jump right in, 2 Kings chapter five. It says, Naaman commander of the army of the king of Syria. And so you're cluing in, this is a man who leads the army of one of God's people's enemies. All right, and so Naaman, he was a great man with his master and in high favor. So he was not only a great man, but he had favor with his king. Because by him, the Lord, strange passages like this, the enemy ruler of the armies of the enemy is being utilized by the Lord. What if the giants in your life were actually sent by Jesus? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like th these are some crazy moments because basically God's gonna bless an enemy. Aren't you glad he loves enemies? because you once were his enemy. Jesus tripped everybody out when he said, here's what I want you to do. Don't just love your neighbor, I want you to love your enemy. 
This is crazy talk. And we're gonna see how God himself can occupy space to such an extent that even enemies can get transformed. The Lord had given victory to Syria through him. Did you know that God can teach you through defeat? I know y'all wanna win all the time, but there's sometimes you gotta understand there's a power in losing if you realize you're not a loser. See, losing's painful if you think you're a loser. Okay, anyway, let's move on. So it says he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, we don't understand fully, but we're, we get a little picture through history that leprosy, when studying the language, concluded that the term usually translated leprosy is more accurately rendered lesion or less technically scaly skin. Sounds delightful. Such patches could be swelled or weeping. You ever had a weeping patch? as well as flaking. So this is really a great description here. We've got an oozing, leaking, weeping wound that also has the capacity to flake. (laughs) I'm not making light of leprosy. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Such patches could be swelled or weeping, as well as flaking. Similar broad terminology also exists in the Akkadian language where the Babylonians likewise considered it an unclean condition and the punishment of the gods. So when you have this condition, the instinctive thought at this time in the Near East, in this understanding, in these cultures, was this is God doing a work of punishment. The cultural aversion to the skin diseases may be that an appearance and sometimes odor They resemble raiding skin of the corpse. I'm sorry, rotting. What's raiding skin? That's rotting skin of the corpse and are therefore associated with death. And so when you look at Leviticus 13, God had a whole protocol for how to deal with leprosy because God was only wanted to be associated with life. And so you couldn't touch fluid from a dead person or you couldn't touch a dead person. You couldn't touch certain blood elements, okay? Because when you did, you would become unclean. Well, a leper, there was this whole protocol. If you had leprosy, you would have to go under great scrutiny. And not only scrutiny, but there would be times where you were told to leave the community. And so when you left your community, you can imagine the trauma of because you carry a condition on your body, you now cannot dwell with your people. That's a terrifying thought. And then if you were unclean and you had leprosy and somebody approached you, you would have to cover your face and yell, unclean, unclean, basically having to identify yourself as unclean. And God gave a whole way of dealing with that in Leviticus 13 that foreshadows a lot of the work of Jesus Christ because you could find when you mixed the ashes of a heifer and living water and then sprinkled somebody, sometimes they would get radically healed. You all with me tonight? 
Now, the Syrians, verse 2, on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. And so obviously, Naaman was struggling with this disease. It was, it was widely known in his household for sure. I can't imagine Naaman, even on his best day, he would probably have to cover himself up to hide what was really going on. You ever had a condition in your life where you felt like the only way you could deal with it is to cover it up? It's a painful position to be in. I've been there before where you think your only mode of survival is to not expose your weakness because you're fearful that if you expose your weakness, it's gonna get exploited by somebody. And so you resort to the tactics of covering up your weakness and you develop a methodology of partnering with dysfunction. And we can sometimes live so much with conditions that we begin to partner with them and they become our identity. And we don't know where the disease, sickness, or issue ends, and we begin. And God wants to liberate us. He wants us to understand the reality of sacred space. And Naaman's about to experience the power of when a God named Yahweh, Naaman's under the rule of an inferior Elohim, and he's about to encounter the God of all gods and how he deals with these things that afflict us. Naaman went to his Lord, so, so hope starts stirring, right? There's somebody that could actually do something about this condition. And he goes to his king and, and he says, the, told him about the girl from Israel. And then in verse five, the king of Syria said, go now, man, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. In today's, converted to today's buying power, this would equate in the vicinity of three quarters of a billion dollars. Can you say somebody's hungry for healing? When you're bringing three quarters of a billion to the you know, Pentecost offering, there's probably some desperation in your life. I'm prophesying that over somebody. Because the truth is, where we spend and exert our time, our treasure, and our talents is where our appetites are. And when you start learning how to allocate your assets in the proper place in the hands of the king, crazy things can happen. When you're willing to give up three quarters of a billion to get a touch from a dude you've never met and a God you have no experience with, see, one of the greatest commodities of the kingdom of heaven is hunger. Wise men still travel to seek out the truth of God because there's hunger. Quick question, are you hungry tonight? No, 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 I'm serious. Are you actually hungry for someone, something? 
Or are you content? See, contentment will rob your hunger, and hunger, you don't even realize you're hungry. When you don't realize you're hungry, right, you're not eating the right stuff, you get malnourished. And you don't even realize you're being malnourished until storms show up and reveal how frail you are. You ever notice you don't need much strength unless there's something going wrong in your life? You realize where you've been spending your energy and your efforts by when a storm shows up and you're now depleted. This dude is depleted, he's tried everything. And I admire this cat's hunger. Going into an enemy's territory to an enemy prophet, an enemy minister of a foreign God to get his healing. Verse six, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which he read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent name and my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. There was miscommunication. Verse seven, the king of Israel reads the letter, tears his clothes, and he says, am I God? to kill and make alive, and that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. We're not gonna spend any time on that. <laughs> Verse eight, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Because that was a sign of great strain and struggle and affliction. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. I like Elisha. So Naaman came with his horses, his chariots, stood at the, the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, here's what I need you to do. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. The prophet gives him what? A promise. See, back then, when a prophet released a promise, it had to be fulfilled, or you got stoned to death. <laughs> okay? so. Naaman maybe doesn't trust this prophet, but when we read these words, this prophet is basically given a promise. Here's the protocol to see the promise fulfilled. Let me give you a little insight on how to see promises fulfilled in your life. Follow through. How many of you want to see the prophetic words over your life come to pass? Anybody? Okay, here's the requirement of the receiver of the promise. You have to rearrange your entire life to fit that promise so when it comes, it actually doesn't destroy you. You actually can receive it and it bless you. So, we're kind of getting there tonight. It's just like we're just... This is the important part of this, gang. God's promises are a yes and an amen in and through Jesus Christ. End of story. There's no gap between what God says and what he does. He walks in full integrity to perfection. Many times he will give us a promise and, and just sit back and honestly wait, while he still empowers, wait and watch to see 
if we will respond with the same magnitude of the promise, we would respond with the same magnitude of action. So the greater the promise, the greater the response. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about being responsible. Look at your other neighbor and say, responsibility is a good thing. See, in Naaman's culture, where it was a ton of witchcraft and magical arts, it was not weird for him to hear, go dip in a river. There was actually protocol, you go dip in a river, you face upstream, you dip seven times, you make a little offering to a deity, and then you turn around and you face downstream and you dip seven times. See, our God's less confusing than other gods. He doesn't even tell you which way to face. Because they thought if you did that and you prayed the right prayer, then it would send all your junk down the river to the netherworld where it belongs. Lots of stuff going on in this culture. And I love that God uses, basically has an, uses a bait on a hook to go, yeah, I'm like every other God in this sense, go dip seven times, but here's where I defer. I own the Jordan, it's my sacred space. And so you don't need a specialist. You just need the living water. Follow with me now. This is super important. I'm basically here tonight going, you don't need me. You know, because sometimes people go, man, I need Pastor Stovall to pray for me. I need Pastor Chris to pray for me. He looks massive and huge. I, there's got to be a big anointing there. I need Pastor so-and-so. I need so-and-so to pray for me. I need, because there's something in our minds still throughout all these years, even though Jesus came and said, no, don't follow me. Go back to the high priest. Don't even follow me. Over and over, he was like, no, go. The demoniac gets completely delivered. Pastor Clay talked about that last week. And what's his response? He wants to get in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, get out of here. And he wants to convince us that we are, we are now the Jordan. We're now the living water. I didn't say you're God, but you have living water in you. You're now distinct. You're like the river Jordan on feet. When people bump into you, they are bumping into living water. And here's the amazing thing about the Jordan. I've been there. It's just a normal, average, ordinary, muddy river. Aren't you glad God takes normal, ordinary, muddied individuals and goes, breathes in that dirt and goes, now you're holy. That's amazing to me. 
This is Yahweh's river. This was the river that the Israelites crossed over to get into the promise. This is the river when Elisha was being taken up at the Jordan, he slams his mantle down and it parts. This is the river in 2 Kings 6 where they're just trying to make a community for a bunch of prophets and they're cutting down wood and an ax that got borrowed from somebody, the ax, they're chopping wood and the ax head goes flying into the river. And Elisha goes, hey, where's it at? Hey, give me a stick. He takes a stick throws it in the Jordan and the ax head floats. What is that? He takes stuff that should stay sunk and makes it buoyant. He takes wash water and turns it into the best wine. He takes unstable seas and makes it a platform to walk upon. It, it's, it's all pictures, he takes, you're the stick. And when the stick gets thrown in the water, it causes stuff to like become what it's supposed to. It recovers stuff. You're the stick. He throws you in and all of a sudden stuff gets recovered. I don't know if you're getting this, but it makes me happy. This is what messed Naaman up. This is why he got offended. Naaman was angry because it required in his culture, those gods required a specialist. Our God's the only God that says, I want the whole group of y'all. You're the specialists. You're the kings. You're the priests. He's the only God that says, you are a priest a holy nation, a priest unto him. He's the only God, I've looked at all of them. He's the only one that offers the sacrifice instead of you. He's the only one. Be glad that holiness is not morality because that would just make him a taskmaster. Elisha's Chosen procedures are ones that would ring a note of familiarity to those who lived in this world of magical rituals. But verse 11, Naaman was angry and he went away saying, behold, I thought at least he would do what all of our guys do. I thought he would at least come. He would stand. He would honor me. Bless you. That is a delightful sneeze. Can we, can we talk about that for a bit? That was a precious sneeze. <laughs> Anybody else like me have a violent sneeze that scares everybody within an eight mile radius? Surely he'll stand and he'll call upon the name of the Lord his God and, and he'll do some kind of ritual because back then they would have a protocol. They would honestly lift their right hand, have their palms turned in and their elbows bent and recite an incantation. Imagine we do an altar call tonight and <laughs> all right, everybody come receive. <laughs> See, he was trained that you need somebody to stand in the, the gap between in you and a God. And Yahweh's going, no, 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 no. When I occupy and own a space, I'm there. You don't need a specialist. You need to just obey. 
He's like, well, if it's just about a river, then I'll go to one of our rivers, the, the Bana and the Parfar and the other rivers of Damascus, better than all these waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away in a rage. Ladies and gentlemen, Offenses occur when our expectations are not met. I've seen the best noble people walk in offense because an expectation was not met. Expectations can be setups for disappointment. Offenses can cost you your healing. I'm here to tell you, Offenses can block your healing with God because you're literally operating as a God in the seat of judgment. You've not only gotten hurt, you've pronounced a sentence over them that you're offended with, and the Greek word offense is scandalon, which means it's the bait of a, like a mousetrap. It's the actual device you put bait on to so offense is used by the enemy to bait you in because if I can bait you into offense, I can now trap you. Yeah, John Bevere wrote a great book called The Bait of Satan. Yes. And I would encourage, I'm not being facetious, like if you struggle with offense, get help like immediately because it's, whether you think, or think it or not, it's spoiling your fellowship with, with Holy Spirit and Jesus. I mean it sincerely, it's robbing you of necessary joy. And it's inhibiting your growth and it might be preventing fullness and wholeness of healing. There are some things that the grace of God will empower us to get out. Offense is one of those through forgiveness. Remember the first thing, he shows up, Jesus shows up after his resurrection shows up in the room to everybody, they're all freaked out and sad, and he goes, peace. And then he leans over and he goes, and he breathes on them, they receive the person of Holy Spirit, and he says the first thing he commissioned them and told them they had permission to do, they could now forgive sin. Forgiveness is leaning into the Holy Spirit and Jesus' work, not your own will. Some of you are trying to forgive people from your own will, it's impossible. It's a spiritual gift. Holy Spirit will take of what Jesus did and give you the assistance, Parakletos, the one who walks. Holy Spirit will take Jesus' forgiveness and partner with you to extend it to those that hurt you. And you can forgive them. But some of you are thinking it's an act of your own will. Now it's an act of your will to partner with Holy Spirit, but it's actually the act of, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership, release them. Your will can release them. Jesus will utilize you to, he'll move through you as the sacred space to forgive them. And once they're forgiven, a yoke comes off you and a yoke comes off them. That plank that was in your eye gets taken out and you suddenly can see better because now you realize what they did to you is a minor little speck compared to what we all did to Jesus. And that's hard because some, some of us have been abused, some of us have been taken advantage of, some of us have been hurt badly. But there's something so powerful when you have the power. God gives you back the power to forgive. 
He gives you all the power back, and how you steward that power is up to you. If you choose to hold that power back and judge, well, then you get measured according to the same standard that you're measuring out. John the Baptist had a little moment. He's in prison. He's gonna get his head chopped off, and he has a little moment. He sends his disciples to Jesus and says, hey, are you the one, or should we look for another? What happened to the dude that said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world? You can get offended at God. Sounds weird to forgive God. Can you forgive God? Is that even theological? I don't know, but it's probably a good idea if you're offended at him. He's offended. He expected a protocol. It didn't happen. How many of you ever came into a situation spiritually where you expected something to happen and it didn't happen? And then you, because we're humans, we always gotta have a solution. We gotta figure out why it didn't happen and where are the open doors and where's this door and that door and maybe this and that, and that blah, 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 right? We always gotta have an answer. We gotta fix it, gotta fix it, gotta fix it all the time. Sorry. It, it would have been unusual in the ancient world for you for rituals to be performed without the presence of a specialist reciting incantations accompanied by appropriate gestures and orchestrating the procedures. See, and here's the dilemma. We're glad you're here, but just a dude, like I'm just a Everyone that stands up here and ever preaches, just dudes and, and mighty women. <laughs> Anointed mighty women. There's, there's nothing, in, we have the same Holy Spirit you have. And see, when we agree, powerful things can happen because it's spirit to spirit. But if you come looking to me tonight to like do this little, I'm gonna bend, you know, do this stuff. I mean, I love the priestly blessing, but I'm convinced even if I don't get to it tonight, he still loves you and blesses you. I'm just convinced of that. I, I, I love doing it. I, but, but again, I'm just a, why don't you stand up and give me the priestly blessing? Tonight, that's how we'll end. You guys all stand up and recite it to me. And then I'll receive your blessing and I can go home. <laughs> Maybe I need your priestly blessing. Did you ever think about that? Verse 13, the servants came to him and said, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? See, sometimes we get so caught up in protocol and theology that we miss the simple promise. All you gotta do is call upon his name and you can be delivered. Just go dip in the Jordan, he owns it. Baptism pool, I guarantee that water out there is not holy because we prayed an incantation over it. As Soon as you step up in that tub filled with the Holy Spirit, 
He's already, we've already dedicated a sacred space. As soon as you step up in there, then you go under. That water was holy well before you ever got near it. Nothing we did. All we did was fill the tub. But it's almost like when you agree with what he says is, that baptism is burial, right, and resurrection, and you trust that? See, it's a demonstration. God's requiring a demonstration from Naaman. Demonstrations are powerful. And we miss the simplicity. Just trust that when you come out of the water, it's newness of life. Just trust it. Just trust the promise. What if God owns the water in that baptismal tank? What if he owns this altar? Like what if this is, what if this was the Jordan River and Yahweh says, I, this is my river, come. Would you come? It just depends on who's there, right? Because we'll line up the deacons and the prayer team and we'll line them all up tonight. We're gonna do that here in a moment. And they're all gonna be available. And there's something powerful when two agree to something. There's something. Man, when we all come together tonight, it doesn't matter if there's a few or a bunch of us, there is something powerful about a bunch of sacred spaces coming into a sacred space to rejoice in the sacred one. There is something really powerful about that. How'd you like that holy ground song? Man, that got me on my knees. Just the reality, he's a holy God. He's not like every other God. He doesn't need a specialist. This is good news. You don't need a specialist tonight. You just need living water. Sacred space trumps any specialist any day. God inhabits the normal, the inferior, the childlike. Something about like that river, man. It's just normal, ordinary, a little bit muddy, a little bit messy. And he loves to inhabit those waters. If you got a little mess in your life tonight, man, you're so blessed. It's only when we either think we're not good enough for that water or we think we're too good for that water that we get messed up, isn't it? So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Can I just tell y'all something? To obey is better than sacrifice. When was the last time you just said yes and just obeyed? No fanfare, no special music in the background. You just realized Holy Spirit is in you, so probably not a good idea to sin right now. You know, Holy Spirit makes it really inconvenient to sin. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And so when you're a, I spoke on this Sunday, when, when the Holy Spirit's in you, you have to intentionally suppress the reality that he's in you to sin willfully. You literally have to think that there's a veil, like he's, he's covering his eyes. There are no eyes, but you understand. 
You understand, you, you like literally have to go, in your mind, in your heart, you have to go, he's not watching. I don't mean that condemn. I'm just being real with you. I still sin. I still sometimes sin willfully. <gasps> I know it's really shocking. We still sin willfully. And the fear of God is the recognition. He's in me. You could be, here, I'm convinced, you, I've seen it in my own life. You could be mid-sin. Like literally mid-sin and Holy Spirit's there and he goes, hey, I'm here. You didn't go all the way. You, you, if you want to go all the way, go for it, but I'm here. See, maybe you need to start testing this stuff. Mid-sin, let's just start there. Mid-sin this week, cry out to Holy Spirit and see what happens. Seriously. I did that. When I was a new baby in the Lord, I would. I would just kind of, well, is he going to show up or not? You know, I would just kind of, and that sounds weird, but I, I, he showed up in my middle of my sin. That's what got me hooked to him. The stuff that I was hooked on wasn't that big a deal. When he, I'm like, he didn't abandon me here? Why would I even be here then? Because it's almost like I was trying to run from him. Dipped himself, man. Got clean, little baby's butt skin, you know? <laughs> then they returned, verse 15, uh, to the man of God. So to get to the Jordan from Samaria was a hard journey. So he goes through the hard journey, dips himself, just obeys, comes out completely clean, goes back to the man of God and said, behold, I know that there's no God in all the earth but Israel. Worship team, we can come, come back if you're not already back. So accept now a present from your servant. And I love our God. He doesn't need any gold. He doesn't need three quarters of a billion to motivate him to move. But now, this, now the offering is from a different place, isn't it? Now it's from a place of gratitude, not compulsion to get something. See, this Pentecost offering, bring your best as a response to his grace, not the compulsion to try to get something from him. I want a prayer room back there. We're building out a prayer room. All that money's gonna go to that. But let me tell you something. I'd rather you dig in with the Lord himself and give as a response of gratitude, not so we can just get a prayer room. It's where we all, you're all nasty and negative when you come in and see the prayer room because you gave something towards it. Oh man, that prayer room, I remember I had some financial difficulty and the pastors compelled me to give and I gave. And stupid prayer room. <laughs> because Paul understood that. Don't give by compulsion. Give by the leading of the Spirit in response to his grace and goodness. We'll have no problem paying for that prayer room. Because he's done a lot in all of our lives. He urged him, take it, but Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, if not, then please let me give, please give to your servant two mule loads of earth. From now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God but Yahweh. This dude became loyal to Yahweh. 
And the proof of loyalty, you'll see it on the screen, the proof of a loyalty, loyalty is expressed through continual pursuit and devotion. You take the dirt you got here, you take the sacred space you get here, and you take it out there. And you invest your breakthrough you get here and invest it out there. See, he was probably gonna take the dirt because he'd have to, his king would lean on his arm to worship this false god. And now he's loyal to Yahweh. So he's saying, I need this sacred space. Load up my donkeys with the dirt of God because even the dirt of God with the spirit in it, it's called Adam. He knew I'm gonna take the sacred space back to the foreign commonplace. And maybe he built an altar, maybe he spread it on the ground because he'd have to get on his knees. And maybe he spread it on the ground every time he went in, put it under his knees, and he was on sacred space ground while his king was on common ground. That's how seriously this cat took his loyalty. So, Where, where are we at tonight, gang? You know, like, say that again. We're in his presence. So if his presence is here, I gotta imagine we could dip in his goodness tonight and probably get unlocked and liberated from some stuff that maybe you've carried for way too long and but it's gonna take a step of faith, isn't it? I was reading in Proverbs today and it says the plans of a man's heart, like plans come from a man's heart. He wants to let you dream again and start planning again. And he says, once you plan, then I'll establish your, your steps. See, the Lord's responsible to back up your, back your steps, not your plan. And so I'm about to do an altar call. I need you to formulate a plan real quick. Tonight, do we designate the back of the sanctuary as the sacred space? We could, if you want to. Prayer team? I think we'll designate it up here. So we're gonna have all of our prayer pastors, prayer leaders, deacons, anyone who's available for prayer, I want you to come right now and I want you to line up And you don't need them, but they're available if you do. Make sense? Stay with me now. Need you to make a plan. If you're not loyal to, to Yahweh, you've never um, asked Jesus to, to, you've never surrendered to his, his rule, his reign, his grace, then that would be the first thing is to establish loyalty with Yahweh through Jesus Christ, amen? And so make a plan tonight, okay, to grab somebody and say, I need this loyalty established in my life. If you need to be water baptized, I need you to make a plan. If you will make the plan and you'll step towards it, God will establish those steps. Make sense? If you need a miracle in your marriage, I need you to start thinking about an actual plan. First step would be to come, offer yourself to the Lord and just say, I'm loyal to you and I wanna be loyal to my spouse. Yeah? 
Some of you got disease in your body. Make a plan. God will back it. You're on territory where healings could take place tonight. Why not? Some people say, well, what if God doesn't heal? I always say, well, what if he did? You'll never, and I always tell my boys, you'll miss 100% of the shots you never take. So at some point, we just gotta start taking some risks. Yeah? We got a few minutes left here. We're not bound by that clock, but I wanna be respectful of your time. So let's say in the next 10 minutes, why couldn't God move supernaturally here? You see, I don't know if I have enough profound prayers in me to move anything. I'll be straight up with you. I think it's gonna be your hunger combined with his presence and your willingness to humble yourself and get under his presence, come into the, into the place of sacred community with him. He's gonna move there. Yeah? Okay. How many of you need a miracle in your life right now? Lift your hands way up high. Okay, what's your plan? Somebody was like, pointed. A good start, a good start to the miracle is response. I always believe a response is needed. So how many of you need a miracle? Then what do you think your response should be right now? Okay, then I'm not gonna do it. I'm, on the count of three, I'm not doing that stuff. Just get your butts out of your seat if you need a miracle and come down here and get some prayer. How many of you need relational, you need a relational breakthrough? Lift your hands and that may be your need a miracle. Okay, same thing. How should you respond? Just get up, come down here, get prayer. How many of you need healing in your bodies? Get up, get down here, get prayer. We're gonna sing, can we sing that holy ground Man, we're gonna sing Holy Ground song over you. How many of you need like, you've been feeling a little bit leprous, you know, you've been cut off, alienated, like you're disqualified. If you're struggling with feeling disqualified, come down here, man, and just get in the, the flow of what he's doing right now, which is restoration. Maybe you're that ax head that fell all the way to the bottom of the Jordan, and he's just gonna throw a stick in there, gonna bring the cross there, and make it float again. Some of you need to come out of agreement with all that, uh, that heaviness and that depression that tries to come, and, and just come on down. If you don't get prayer with somebody, get on your knees or, or stand in the presence of God and let him minister to you tonight. You don't need a specialist, you're just in sacred space, so just receive the grace and the healing. And as this song is being sung over us, can we all just stand up in here tonight just as the people of God?